I gotta be real with you. He's like, bitch, I'm a scammer and I be scamming hoes. Like, I be scamming, I be scamming bitches. And he explains the whole gig to her. And you know what she says? She's like, okay, bet. Like, I'm in. So what they do is they're like, we're gonna just do this scam together. She's like, I love you. I fuck with you. I fuck with your scams. So what they decide to do is she's gonna pretend to be his sister and she's gonna help him con women. All right, so before there was Craigslist, Adam for Adam, Tender, even Black Planet, Jacked, there were other ways for singles to link up and get their whatever wet. And one way people used to do that is by posting personal ads. So this has been a thing since like the 1600s when people used to get on there and post about uh, seeking marriage or whatever type of relationship or encounter people have been seeking. So... For today's story, we're going to hop in a time machine. We're going to the 1940s. So this is when singles were meeting through placing ads in what they called uh, Lonely Hearts personal ads. And that was basically their version of online dating. Now, mind you, this is at the end of World War II. So no shade, but it's like low-key widow fest out there. So you know there is a big market for these ads. Basically, if you were white and had $5 and were lonely... You could, uh, through the mail, you could order a membership to a Lonely Hearts Club and begin exchanging letters with a lucky stranger or a psychopath. So today, this is exactly what the killers that we are talking about did. And this story that I'm going to tell is about how they found love and the means to scam, seduce, and murder their way across the country. Now, this story is about what happens when an unhinged Sagittarius and a traumatized Pisces link up and decide to fuck shit up. It's very much giving on-the-run tour, but if Beyonce were a city girl. So sit back, buckle up, because bitch, today, (laughs) I really can't. All right, guys, so first of all, I want to thank you all for listening to the show, for tuning in, for the support, for the feedback, for um, just people giving me ideas and uh, story topics that I should feature next. So thank you all for your participation and for tuning in and for being there for a bitch. It is much motherfucking appreciated. Now, today we are talking about the notorious Lonely Heart Killers, Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck. Now, these two were what I would call a match made in hell, and I'll explain why this couple, bruh, they fuck shit up. Okay, so first we're going to start with giving a little bit of background and bio on each of the killers. We're going to start with Raymond Fernandez. So Raymond was born in Hawaii on December 17th of 1914. He was born to Spanish immigrants, uh, and as a kid, he moved to Connecticut. Now, his dad was an asshole, from what I've gathered, and he kind of treated him like shit. So, here's just one example. At 16 years old, Ray, Raymond, and two of his friends, they stole two chickens, right, from like the neighboring people. So, the other boys' families bailed them out, but Raymond's father refused to do so. As a result, Raymond spent two months in fucking prison for stealing a goddamn chicken. (sighs) Right. So things are not great at home. So by 1932, 
17-year-old Ray moves to Spain and he decides to work on his uncle's farm. Now, this is when he meets his wife and they have a baby. And so after that, he's like, listen, I want a better life for us. I want to go back to America. I want to bring you there. So he goes to New York to scope it out. And then he's like, I'm going to figure things out, whatever, whatever. He had to cut his trip short because his baby got sick. So he came back immediately. But this is when the Spanish Civil War was going on. So apparently his siblings were arrested and accused of being communist. Shit is popping off. So Ray wanted to look like more low-key. So he got a job at a jail. And at this jail, he prepped people for execution. So this this was his way of staying off of the radar. Like, I am not a communist. I am in the jail helping you guys, you know, execute people. So <clears throat> how the legend goes is that he actually, some of his friends ended up in the prison. And when he went to prep them to be executed, he started crying. And the other guards saw, and they were like, nah, fuck this shit, like, you're weak. So then what they did is they put him with his friends and, like, acted like they were going to execute him, too, with his friends. Um, So he was, like, shook and scared. And then what they did, they did not execute him, but they executed his friends and they made him watch. And then after that, he was forced to watch every execution and was permanently assigned to burying the body duty. Which is, like, beyond fucked up, so you know he's got some PTSD, like, big-time PTSD that, obviously, he's going to carry on into his life, because, I mean, duh. So, here we have Raymond. The war has, uh, you know, ended, and at the end of the war, he became a spy for the British intelligence, which is pretty lit. So, we're going to fast forward to about 1945, and we've got him working on an oil tanker at sea, and this is when a fucking big-ass door or some metal fucking thing off the door falls and hits him in the goddamn head. Fucks his shit up, like, bad. He had a skull fracture and, like, these huge scar. Like, the hair is not growing in anymore. He would get these terrible headaches. His behavior fucking changed. His personality fucking changed. He had this increased crazy sex drive, apparently. He had to spend three months in the hospital from this skull fracture. So his shit is fucked up. His frontal lobe is impacted by this injury. And what people are saying is this probably caused, like, his later life absurdity, which we're going to get into. So after this, he actually lived in Tallahassee for a year. Of course, everything shady comes from Florida. And he ended up stealing some clothes from a store. But then later on, when he was questioned about it, could not explain why. And this is when they were like, bruh, there's a problem. So he went to prison for like five months. And while he was in jail, he linked up with his Haitian, right? So he's in there, him and this Haitian, like, they get close. I mean, naturally, as you would do in Florida. Uh, and the Haitian introduced him, allegedly introduced him to, like, voodoo and black magic. So he, like, really gets into this. And he's like, I am the baddest voodoo priest on earth. And he had this belief that he could charm and seduce any woman. So he gets out of jail for those five months. He moves in with his sister in New York, right? Because he... Obviously, this is like a deadbeat dad and is like, fuck my multiple children at this point that he had in Spain with his wife. <laughs> fuck that shit. No. Why would I go back and do that? And especially more so after this, this injury, he's like, fuck that shit. So he starts responding to these letters that are in these personal ads, these Lonely Heart Club personal ads. And he's like writing a shit ton of women. And he's like, I'm a fucking scam these hoes. Why? Because I'm the baddest voodoo priest on earth. So he starts asking them like crazy shit like... 
um, send me locks of your hair because he's doing this like random voodoo shit. And he's just like, I'm, it's going to work. It's going to work. And mind you, a lot of women are actually talking to him, which is fucking weird. But also post-war loneliness, you know, I get so lonely, don't want nobody else to hold me in my Janet Jackson voice. Uh, if you know the song, you know if you don't, I'm sad for you. Okay, back to the story. Important side note, the Lonely Hearts Club, it connected a lot of lonely people by mail, which was cute, but it also left a lot of women super fucking vulnerable, and a lot of them were too ashamed to report the crimes that were committed against them, like when they would meet scammers and they would get robbed or assaulted or whatever would happen or scammed out of their money. So it's fucking dangerous, but apparently it's lit, so everybody's still about it. And they didn't have the internet to spread awareness or, you know, uh, to let people know about the reports of what's happening. So people probably don't know just how dangerous it is. Like, they see what makes their local newspapers or what what have you, but they don't know just how dangerous this is. But we're going to double back to that. So now that we've talked about Raymond, who is just half of this amazing couple we're discussing today. All right, so I want to bring Martha into the group chat because she is the other half of this couple. So Martha... (sighs) This should not be the leading characteristic that people use to describe her, but when you look up things about this case, especially once it made it to court, it was like the number one thing that was mentioned, and it is Martha's weight. So Martha was thick, and the press roasted her daily for this once you know uh, they were charged and they were you know going to court going through the court case it was all all the discussion was about her weight they were saying she's huge they're like she's biggie smalls uh she's 300 pounds like a key 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 key. fixated on it so any if you do any research on your own that is going to be the main thing that you find and unfortunately this was an issue that carried through from her childhood throughout her life and i do think it was had a defining uh, impact on the person that she became and the things that you know went on in her life so let's talk about martha so, she was born in, on May 6th of 1920. She's a little bit younger than Raymond. Now, Martha had a glandular issue, and because of that, she became, like, fully developed by 10 years old. She looked like a full-grown woman, uh, and she was overweight. So, of course, in school, she was teased. People fucked with her. They were always talking shit. It also, another thing she had to deal with was that at home, her older brother started sexually assaulting her and abusing her, which is just fucked. This is when he got her pregnant, when she was a fucking teenager. Now, she told her mom. Naturally, her mother blamed her. They got her an abortion, and they kept the brother around. Like, brother, brother's Gucci. Like So she had to deal with that trauma and still have her brother living in the house. And uh, according to uh, some things I've listened to, the brother was like her chaperone at her prom or some shit. Wild. So Martha grows up. She got good grades. She's smart, you know. She goes to nursing school. But apparently, after she graduated, do you know what prevented her from getting good jobs? Her fucking weight, which is wild, but also very believable. So she ended up taking the only job she can get at the time at a funeral home for a hospital in Pensacola, Florida, where she lived. And this bitch is in there washing and prepping the bodies, which... People do that job. It's lit. I don't think that's what she wanted to do. So this led to depression. And on top of all the things she's been through, right? All the fucking trauma. So what she does to kind of make herself feel better, she's like, you know what? I'm going to move to California. I'm going to start a new life. She got a job at a hospital there. 
And she's like living her life, you know, hooking up, doing whatever she wants to do. And she's hooking up with this dude, like kind of like a one night stand situation or maybe two nights. He's a soldier, allegedly. She ends up getting pregnant. Yikes, I know. So she tells him she's pregnant and she's like, bruh, like, let's go get married. I'm pregnant. And this dude was like, fuck that shit. And he literally attempted suicide, which I've taken some like blows to the self-esteem but nothing like being like yo i'm pregnant let's get married and someone literally jumps out of a window so this is when martha allegedly attempted her first uh had her first attempt of suicide for herself and she like lost her mind and she was temporarily hospitalized had a complete breakdown which bitch i feel you rightfully so it is what it is so now it's 1944 you know a few months later she moves back to florida she's pregnant Uh, And she tells everyone at this new job she gets at a hospital that she had a husband who died in the military. And so she starts working at a different hospital. And she ends up meeting this bus driver named Arthur Beck, right? So they're dating or fucking or whatever it is that they're doing. And she has her baby. And then all of a sudden, she's pregnant again. But it's with his baby. So it's her second child. So she's like, I'm pregnant. She tries that line again. Like, I'm pregnant. Let's get married. But he says yes. They get married but we're divorced six months later. So she has a second baby. She is just basically a single mom trying to figure her shit out. Okay, so by this time, it's 1946, and we have Martha with two fucking toddlers, and she is at work, and because her coworkers are assholes, and the coworkers know that she's like a hopeless romantic, and she loves romantic movies and shit, they, as a fucking joke, make her a Lonely Hearts Club um I would say profile, but um, they post a personals ad for her. So she gets into the personal ads game of, you know, chatting and trying to find love on her own. All right, so we are going to step away from Martha for two seconds, and we are going to move right on over to Raymond because he is living his own life and doing his shit right now. So in September of 1947, he meets this older woman who ran a boarding house in New York City. So he's living there. So, of course, he does his, you know, voodoo magic slash, you know, big dick energy or whatever it is that he had to, like, swoon her. And they start dating or whatever. And they take a vacation to Spain. Being the smooth criminal that Raymond is, he ends up figuring out a way to finesse a a scenario where he can kill two birds with one stone and go on vacation, but also see his wife and kids. Somehow, they all ended up in the same room. There was no drama. No one was the wiser of the fact that Jane, the older woman that he's with, is his new girlfriend, and that was his wife. I don't know how he pulled that off, but maybe it was the fucking voodoo magic. I don't know. I do know that they went back to the hotel, Raymond and Jane. They ended up having a disagreement, and the next day, she was dead. Allegedly, it was a stomach issue is what killed her. But, bruh, you already know that I've done my research, and I don't believe that shit. So, what happened next was one of the first things that really um, solidified Raymond as, like, a, a, a big villain. Like, I mean, obviously, he just killed this lady, possibly. We don't know for sure. But what he did next is what really made me say, okay, got it. He's, like, a villain villain. So what he does is he forges a fucking will for this woman. And he doesn't take his kids. He doesn't take his wife. He goes back to America by himself and is like, okay, cool. I bet I'm claiming everything. So he took all her shit, her money, her belongings, and her apartment with her mother in it, who he removed and had sent away with no pennies. (laughs) Not funny. Not laughing. Uh, To go to like senior living. 
which is wild because in 1949, I bet that shit was like worse than it is now. So anyways, he's a villain. And this is where the two stories collide of Martha and Ray because they start talking via these letters in the Lonely Hearts Club. So Martha is about that life. She's like, oh, he he is like, you know, this is going to be Bay, And he's like, I'm, I'm into this bitch, but you also know he's a fucking scammer. So she even sent him a lock of her hair. Like she was like about that shit, which he obviously used for voodoo. So they're like, we're going to be in love. And they meet, they meet up. So she goes to the boarding house that he now like fucking owns in New York. They start with this little sexual relationship and everything's all good. Until he realizes, like, bro, like, this bitch is fucking broke. So she goes back home after they've been, like, fucking or whatever. And he writes her a letter. And he's like, uh, like, bitch, it's not you. It's me. Like, shit is not going to work. He doesn't tell her it's because she's broke. But he's like, it's just not going to work. And now what happens next, I have heard a few different versions. Okay, the first version that I heard is that she actually was like, fuck him. I'm going to kill myself. And I'm going to kill these motherfucking kids. And she opened up the oven and, like, turned it on so, like, the fumes would kill them all. And I guess a neighbor somehow was like what's going on and saved her and the neighbor reached out to Raymond and was like bruh take this bitch back like she's about to kill herself and the kids but I heard another version that she wrote it in a letter and threatened to kill herself and the kids either way it was effective and he's like fine you can come see me again like this is like not I'm not into this but bitch I don't want you to kill yourself and these fucking babies So come see me. So she gets back up to New York. She takes her kids. They go to visit him. And they hang out for like two weeks. And she goes back to Florida after at the end of the two weeks. And she finds out she got fired from her job. So she is like, if she was on edge before, the bitch has lost it now. So she is freaking the fuck out. What she does, she packs the kids up. And they pop up on his front doorstep in New York again. She pops up like, ding dong, bitch, surprise, I'm here. And he's like, skirt, like, I wanted to, like, fuck you for a few weeks, but, like, what is this, honey? And she's like, me and the kids are here. And he's like, okay, how about this? You can stay, but you got to figure out something else for them kids because they can't come here. So you know what this bitch does? She takes her two toddlers to the Salvation Army, the nearest Salvation Army she could find in New York. And she's like, I'm going to go get a pack of cigarettes. And she never comes back. Now, allegedly, she felt so bad after that. She, like, threw herself in front of a car or tried to, and someone stopped her. But either way, she left her kids to go be with uh, Raymond. And she left them at the Salvation Army, which is, I literally can't. So, Raymond and her are at his apartment. He's like, well, bitch, if you're going to stay, mainly because you're manipulating me into staying by continuously telling me you're going to kill yourself... um, I got to be real with you. He's like, bitch, I'm a scammer and I be scamming hoes. Like, I be scamming. I be scamming bitches. And he explains the whole gig to her. And he's like, this is what I do. And you know what she says? She's like, okay, bet. Like, I'm in. So what they do is they're like, we're going to just do this scam together. She's like, I love you. I fuck with you. I fuck with your scams. So what they decide to do is she's going to pretend to be his sister and she's going to help him con women. So gain their trust by being like, yo, let's link up. I'm going to bring my sister so she can meet you. And the women are going to be like, oh shit, like he's being serious. He's bringing his family. Like this is like real, but in real life, that is not what's happening. So Martha is like, she's off the chain, but she's like, I'm down. I can do this as long as the bitches aren't too pretty and as long as you don't get too close to them. So... As they're preparing their scam and, like, working through the early days of their scams together, 
their relationship is toxic as fuck. She's out here, every time he pisses her off or does something that she doesn't like, she's threatening suicide or like low-key attempting suicide, which I literally can't. And then he's also lying to her because he's like, you know, I love you, but I'm just using these women for their money, but you're the one I love, and I'm going to divorce my wife um, that's in Spain, and like, you're going to be it, and we're going to start a family, yada, yada, yada. Allegedly, she got pregnant. He was like, skirt. So uh, abort mission. Uh, She was like, I'm down. Whatever you say. They got rid of the baby. So he's toxic. She's toxic. And they're out here about to scam and fucking kill people. We're going to enter uh, the next stage of this story. And this is when we pull a woman named Janet Fay into the group chat. Now, around December of 1948, we've got Janet Fay. She is 66 years old. And her husband has died suddenly, so she's, like, sad. You know, her husband died in 1946, uh, two years before, and she's sad, she's lonely, and she gets up on the app, a.k.a. the newspaper, and she starts talking to a guy named Charles Martin. So her and Charles Martin, they might have a 32-year, you know, age gap, but it is what it is. Like, she, he's into her, uh, she's into him, it's, it's going to be a thing. He's, like, slim and handsome and exotic and successful and Spanish. Who was it? It was fucking Raymond. So Raymond uses a fake name. He seduces and finesses this lady, Janet. And what happens is, you know, I mean, they go to her apartment, to Janet's apartment, and Martha goes to a hotel. So it's been a few weeks of them, like, dating and talking, and they end up linking up, and all three of them go to Amsterdam to meet Janet's stepdaughter, because Janet is like... I love this man. It's been two weeks, but, like, he wants to, like, fuck on me? What? She's like, I'm game. Like, let's go to the motherfucking chapel. So after they meet uh, her daughter, about a week goes by. It's New Year's Eve, 1949, and this is when um, Raymond, a.k.a. Charles, stays at her apartment. Martha's at the hotel. He fucking proposes to Janet, and Janet is like, oh my God, like, I found love again. Like, what the fuck? This is so exciting. So she withdraws, like, thousands of dollars. I heard that it was around $45,000 of what today's money would be of what she took out of her accounts back then. And she did this all at his request because Charles Ray, Charles slash Ray, asked her to take the money out. So she takes the money out, and this is all happening so fast, like a matter of weeks. He gets her to move in with him at his apartment in Long Island with him and his sister, Martha. So on the way there, they're talking. And he's like, you know, bitch, like, I need access to all your shit. And Janet was like, bro, like, I just took out a whole bunch of money and, like, loaned you some shit. So she's like, you owe me money. So on January 3rd, he's been annoyed with Janet. Things are not really working well. So Janet decides to spice shit the fuck up. So Janet gets naked on the sofa. She is ready to fuck. Like, she is like, bitch, it's time. Like, let's fucking do this shit. So Charles, a.k.a. Raymond, sees this shit, and he's like, bruh, no. So he goes to Martha. He's like, you need to go in there and, like, handle her, like, talk her down or whatever because I can't. So Martha goes up to her, and she's like, bitch, you need to chill. Like, find some chill. You need to go to bed. So Janet loses her shit, and she slaps Martha in the motherfucking face. She puts her paws on Martha, and she's like, bitch, fuck you and the click you claim, because as soon as we get married, bitch, you are out of the picture. You're moving the fuck out. As soon as we get married, like, she pulls some, like, what was that, like, a parent trap with, like, the stepmom that's, like, once the dad leaves, she's like, fuck you, bitch. She pulls all that. Slap this hoe in the face. So you know Martha's over there like, bruh, really? 
Martha blacks the fuck out. She snaps. She grabs a hammer and knocks Janet, like whoops upside the head. Charles comes in. He's like, bro, what the fuck happened? And Martha's like, I don't even remember. I blacked out. This bitch hit me as she was talking some shit and I hit her upside the head with a hammer. So Charles is like, oh my God, this bitch isn't even dead. You just injured her. So he took one of her scarves and he strangles Janet to death so that (laughs) they could be done. So they wrap her body up in newspaper and they put that hoe in a closet. The next day, they go to bed. They go to bed together. Like, all right, we'll figure this out in the morning. They wake up the next day and they put her in a trunk, right? They don't know where they're going to put her body. So what they do is they quickly spend all, start spending her money. And they wrote these letters to her family explaining why she's been ghost and, you know, why she's going to be ghost. Because the bitch literally is a ghost. Um, and they send these letters out, which is crazy. Her family on the other end is like, what's going on? First, the telegram says that Janet wanted to have all her belongings sent uh, to New York City. And then on January 11th, they got a letter and they're like, what the fuck is this? And the letter is all like, hey, it's me, Janet. Like, I'm so motherfucking happy. This man is amazing. My life is amazing. We're getting married. Um, Everything's great. I've been so happy. Like, that's why you haven't heard from me. Like, you know, because we'd be like, you know, you know, hunching and like living our best life. So I'm, you know, not always available to talk. Um, The stepdaughter looks at this letter and she's like, first of all, this shit was typed up with a typewriter. Janet did not know how to use a typewriter. She did not know how to type. So her family freaks out and they report her as missing and they're like, something is not right. Now, on the other end, after sending this letter, you have Martha and Raymond. They got this money and they have this dead body. So what they did is they rented a house in Queens and they took the trunk and they put it in a basement, in the basement floor. Like they dug a hole under the basement floor and they encased it in cement. So they got rid of the body. So at the same time, Raymond had also been talking to another woman who lived in Grand Rapids uh, in Michigan. Her name is Delphine, and she had a two-year-old daughter named Raynell. Now, her husband had died in a freak accident, and you know he left her with the house and some insurance money. She's youngish and attractive. Um, there's not a ton of, of records, but we, they think she's around 28 years old, so this is much younger than what he's used to, and she's actually cute. So they link up quickly. Delphine is like head over heels. She's like, this is a man who's willing to take me and this baby. What? Because you know how guys be playing games about single moms. So she's like, this man wants me and my baby. He's successful. She's like, his sister's a little weird, but whatever. So they're staying at Delphine's house, you know, the house that she had shared with her prior husband. So it's Martha, AKA, who being his sister, a.k.a. his sister, uh, and you have Ray. So Ray and Martha are there with Delphine and Delphine is like obsessed with him. And she's like, I'm so into it. Like you're so fine. What she noted is that he had this great hair, this head of hair. Like she loved his hair, which funnily enough, we already know he got hit in the head with a door and had this brain damage. There's no fucking way that hair is real, but she doesn't know this because a good lace front can fool anybody. So what we have is Delphine is at the house with her new man, you know, and his sister, But what happens is February 28th comes along, February 28th, 1949. This is when Delphine, she'd already been kind of feeling a type of way because some of the stories weren't adding up and she was like, ah, the relationship was kind of weird uh, between him and his sister. So allegedly, this is when Delphine walked in on Raymond with his wig off. So his wig was off. He was in the bathroom, I don't know, singing Beyonce, letting his scalp air out, whatever he was doing. Delphine walks in. 
she sees like a fucking dent and a scar in his head. And she's like, bitch, the fuck? So she like lost her shit, which is funny that this is what sent her over the edge. Like not meeting him (laughs) online. Well, I guess on a newspaper and hanging out with him for two weeks and moving him in. That didn't freak her out. But what freaked her out was that this bitch was bald. She's like, this ninja is bald. She's like, what else are you hiding? If you're hiding the fact that you're bald, what else are you hiding? So she was freaking out because she's like, I've been fucking you. Like We've been having sex, which is crazy that Martha let this happen. But I think Martha was just so like sold and like so in on this, like so in love with Raymond. She's like, okay, I'll let this happen. So, so what happens next is debatable. There are a couple different versions, but what I am sticking with is that Martha comes in and she's like, okay, Delphine, you're freaking out, girl. Have this sleeping pill, take a little nap. We'll wake up and we'll talk through all this shit. So Martha intentionally gave her like overdose this bitch on sleeping pills. So she would like really take a long nap. So while Delphine is napping, Martha and Raymond are trying to figure out like what the fuck do we do next? It's like that scene from uh, Little Women when they're Little Women Atlanta when they're like, "What the hell we gonna do now?" So they're trying to figure this out, and while they're figuring this out, the goddamn baby is screaming. So the baby won't won't stop crying. Martha. <laughs> being the the short fuse that she is, she like yokes this baby up by the neck and she's like strangling it. And Ray's like, bitch, chill. They put the baby down and lo and behold, the baby now has bruises around its neck. So Raymond is like, girl, when this bitch wakes up, she's gonna look over and be like, bruh, like what happened to my baby? So he's like, now I gotta kill her. Which I feel like that was an extreme, (laughs) an extreme conclusion to come to, but I'm not Raymond. So what Raymond does is he finds the gun that was in the house that belonged to Delphine's husband, like wraps it up in a sheet so it's not as loud, and he shoots this bitch in the head while she's sleeping. So Delphine is dead, and they're sitting there like, holy shit, what do we do? So they get some cement out, and they dig a hole in the basement floor, like they did with Janet's body, and they put her in, and they put cement over her. Now, they have this fucking baby, and the baby will not stop crying. So, apparently, they took the baby to the mall. It took her around. Like, they're, like, bought her toys. The baby would not stop crying. They fed her. The baby won't stop crying. Because the baby probably knows. Like, y'all killed my mom. Like, what the fuck? So, Raymond is like, I can't. So, he makes Martha drown the baby. And then they bury the baby in the basement next to the mother. And then they just cover it with cement. So, now the neighbors, Delphine's neighbors, they had met... Martha and they had met Raymond and they're like okay it's cute our neighbor you know she got a man or whatever and they thought you know it's not that scandalous because his sister is there like you know it's a, it's a proper courting or courtship whatever so then after a while the neighbors are like where the fuck is Delphine so they call the cops the cops come and they catch Raymond and Martha trying to like load their car up and they're like bro excuse me and they see the New York tags on the car and they're like something ain't right they search them. They find $4,000, which was a lot of money now, but a shit ton in the 1940s. And they also find Janet's checkbooks on them, which they don't know who Janet is because, mind you, we are now in Michigan. So they're just like, okay, something ain't right. So they search the house, and they go to the basement, and they find this, like, one spot in the floor where the cement is different, and they touch it, and the shit is still wet. So that's when the police are like, fuck this shit, let's dig in. They dig in and they find the bodies. So they naturally arrest Martha and Raymond. So they're in Grand Rapids. The district attorney, 
he's talking to uh, Martha and he's talking to Raymond. And he's like, listen, if y'all spill the beans, what we'll do is we will keep you here where there's no death penalty, you know, and we'll just figure out you know, what we do from there. You'll get jail time. It is what it is. So what happens is the press gets a hold of this story. Everyone's finding out. So what happens is the New York governor, he like calls the district attorney. He's like, bruh, let's make a deal. So he makes a deal with the prosecutors in Michigan and is like, what I need you guys to do is waive the charges, like just drop it all and throw out the plea deal. And then we're going to extradite these hoes to New York where we have a death penalty and we will just call it a fucking day. So by June of 1949, they're in New York. The story is everywhere. Everyone fucking hates them. And on June 28th, this is when they're you know, uh, trial begins. So everyone's watching this shit show. And what's crazy is that the two of them got tried together, which was very unorthodox and strange now, but especially for the time as well. So they had like the same public defender and everything, which is crazy. So their attorney defender is like, I need to get y'all back to Michigan, but he tried and it wasn't going to fucking happen. So he's like, fine, new plea, new plea deal here. We're going to plea insanity. And we're going to say these people are insane, which Honestly, I don't deny. I don't I don't question that shit. So, of course, based on their trauma, the psychologist that interviewed them was like, bro, these people probably are fucking nuts. Martha's like, I blacked out and killed Janet. She's like, I don't remember any of that hammer time, you know, that I, I did. I don't remember any of this shit. I've had a traumatic life. So this is the defense that they're using. So they go to court. And I just want to read you a little bit of... <laughs> what was written at the time about their time in court. Because I want to show you two things. Number one, I want to show you their their behavior, trying to showcase that they are fucking insane. And number two, about how the court spoke about fucking Martha because they could not stand her. Now, this excerpt comes from encyclopedia.com. All right, it says, The trial produced a torrent of sensational testimony as both defendants, apparently eager to prove their lack of sanity, burned the jurors' ears with lengthy streams of obscenity that described their intensity uh, and their love together and their love life. Now, what the court stenographers recorded could not be printed even by New York City's most torrid press because it was so scandalous at the time. But the news reporters could describe how when called to the witness stand, Martha Beck strode forward in bright green shoes with her massive body swathed in bright silks and a double-strand necklace clinking brightly. Suddenly, she detoured across the courtroom to Raymond, Catching his face in her hefty hands, she pulled him toward her, kissed him on the mouth, and as the guards pulled her away, she grinned at him with her bright red lipstick that was all over his face. So apparently they described this, like, dramatic scene of fucking Harley Quinn and Joker acting out. And I just can't with how they described her massive body and hefty hands, which, so unnecessary, so fucked up. So after 44 days of testimony, when the trial concluded, the next morning, a jury found them guilty of first-degree murder, and a few days later, they were sentenced to death. So they were accused of murdering 17 women, but were only charged with the first-degree murder of Janet Fay. And this is because, in Michigan, they you know went ahead and dismissed the charges so that they can get the death penalty in New York. So the couple is believed to have murdered around 20 women in total. 
So now, by August 22nd, 1949, Raymond, who was 35, and Martha, who was 30, arrived at Sing Sing Prison in New York. Now, I'd only heard of that in a Nicki Minaj song, that song High School. Didn't think it was real, but Sing Sing is a real thing. Now, this day was also the last time they ever saw each other. So from jail, Martha requested that the police shut down the Lonely Hearts Club and said that it was a fraudulent business. Now, apparently this worked temporarily, but the business reopened under a different name. Now, while he was in jail, Raymond had apparently told doctors that he had sincere affection and great consideration for Martha, but was not sure if he loved her. Now, of course, the doctors ran to Martha and told her that shit. They're like, oh, he said he never loved you. And oh, and by the way, he had syphilis wild so of course traumatic this bitch is like really i'm about to die and this is what you tell me so you can imagine this is so fucked up she's obsessed with him she hears this but the word on the street and this is the story is that two hours before their execution raymond sent her a message saying i would like to yell to the world the love i feel for you cute I mean, listen, I'm not on their side, but I'm just saying this was a fucking cute moment. Now, the pair was executed in the electric chair on March 8th of 1951 in the Sing Sing prison. And apparently, Martha's final words were, My story is a love story, but only those tortured with love can imagine what I mean. The death house has only strengthened my feeling for Raymond. Now, the written instructions for her final meal were fried chicken, no wings, french fries, lettuce, and tomato salad. Wild. And I can't lie. I, I mean, if, I was, if I was on death row, would I asked fried chicken. Fried chicken might be the last thing I want to taste. Uh, Raymond's last meal was an onion omelet, french fries, and a chocolate topped off with a Cuban cigar. Now, many books and movies were based off their crimes. The Honeymoon Killers, which was a 1970 American crime film, uh, it depicted the murders they committed. And in 1996, there was a Mexican film called Deep Crimson, uh, the 2006 American movie Lonely Hearts, and the 2014 Belgian-French Alulia were based on the couple's crimes. So here we have a fucked up, twisted story of hurt people hurting people. So we have Raymond with all his trauma including, you know, having actual trauma to his brain. And then we have Martha with her fucked up childhood. Um, I feel really bad for her kids. However, getting away from a woman who was threatening to kill the kids and herself all the time and went on to kill other people was probably not the best environment. So I'm hoping that the Salvation Army found something better for them, even though I know Life for Orphans was not great back then. Hashtag Annie. Uh, also, I really feel bad for these victims who went on this uh, app, a.k.a. the newspaper, trying to find love uh, after the war, these widows who ended up getting scammed, robbed, and killed. Uh, it's just very fucked up. So, all around, kind of sad, but also very entertaining story to tell. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Once again, I'm going to be posting pictures and shit uh, of this crazy couple on my Instagram account. So if you follow it, it's called bitch. I can't pod bitch. I can't pod all one word. And you can follow some behind the scenes, uh, little goodies that I will send uh, about the stories that we tell. I call them hashtag receipts is what I call them. I pull up the receipts for the shit I be telling y'all. Um, if you have suggestions for uh, additional um, episodes or feedback or theories, feel free to let me know. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can actually look in there 
are questions that are asked uh, in the, the Spotify post. So if you're looking at the episode on Spotify, you can see a question I asked, and I will go in and read those responses um, on the next episode. So Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, tell a friend. You can rate and review the uh, podcast in Apple Apple Podcasts. And yeah, I am tired of talking tonight. So let's have a great weekend and a great life. Don't go out and plan a murder. And we will talk soon. Bye.